0: So what we want to do today is to compare ourselves today and to compare the photograph or the movies of the church that we are in today, right now, to what we see in the book of Acts, to be able to determine... Are we the kind of church that God says, this is what I want the church to be. This is what the church is all about. These are the activities. This is the passion. This is the way to live. And as we look at ourselves today and compare ourselves to that church, we want to be able to evaluate, not for the purpose of browbeating and chastising ourselves, but to the purpose that where we see that we need to be growing and maturing and changing. That we would seek the Lord in this area or in any particular area. And allow him by his Holy Spirit to bring us today into conformity with what he wants the church to be. As we see it in these first 30 years of history in the book of Acts. And as we listen today, our prayer is that we not just be here to accumulate some information and to make an assessment on the presentation of the speaker, but that we would be here asking God to touch our hearts, to change our lives, And to make us the people that He wants us to be for His blessing and our blessing. So would you join your hearts together with me in prayer this morning, Father. Father, we are so thankful that by our words and by our testimonies. And really, Father, by anything that we do, we cannot change ourselves or one another. Father, this is your work of the Holy Spirit. Father, you must change our hearts. You must change our attitudes and our motives. Father, you must minister to us. Bringing us to a place that you want us to be in which you are well pleased. Father, you are the one who must correct deficiencies and overcome weaknesses. And deal with sin. And so, Father, in this particular area this morning, as we share concerning the restoration of mercy ministry in the church... Father, our prayer is, would you speak to us? Would you give us revelation? Not only about ourselves, but mostly about your heart. And Father, not only give us revelation, but then would you bring us into conformity. As our lives would be lived in such a way as to please you. In this and in every area of our life with You. Father, this is Your work. You need to do this. I cannot do it. If it's going to be done, You must do it. So we ask of You to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to share this morning concerning the restoration of mercy ministries in the church. And as we begin to do so, I want just to give a couple of definitions which I have used Webster's Dictionary for this. What does the word mercy mean? According to Webster, the word mercy means a compassionate treatment of those in distress. A compassionate treatment of those in distress. How many of us have ever been in distress? And when we were in distress, in whatever area of life it was, how many of us were very thankful for someone to come to our aid during a particular time of stress? We know what it is to be in stress and to have that stress met and overcome by someone who was merciful to us. What does the word ministry mean? The word ministry is an activity through which something is accomplished. It's the avenue in which the mercy or the relieving or the ministry or the dealing with the stress is accomplished. It's the vehicle of meeting the need. And so really when we say mercy ministries, what we are saying is it is God's compassionate treatment of those In distress. And I would have to believe that every one of us has been in some sort of distress at some time in our lives, and therefore, every one of us has been a prime candidate for the mercy ministry of God in our lives. In fact, in fact, for those of us here this morning who are saved, Whose sins have been forgiven and whose home is heaven. How did we ever get saved in the first place? Except God came in mercy and announced to us His great love, our great need. And began to minister to our need by the cross of Christ with His grace. And saved us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why are we even here this morning worshiping and celebrating our God? We are the rich recipients. Every one of us who are saved. We are the rich recipients of the personal and active work of God's mercy ministry in our lives. Is mercy ministry important to us? Yes, it is. And so, you see, the heart of mercy ministry is God's compassionate dealing with and treatment of our needs. And really, the heart of mercy ministry, I think, is so typified and captured in this picture of a shepherd. Remember what Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd who lays down his life for the needs of his sheep. You remember these words that God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel about 500 years before Jesus was born. And as he does this, the Lord begins to announce his coming mercy minister. The one who will come as the very mercy of God embodied in a man to come into our lives and into our situations. To meet the great distresses of our life. And this is what the Lord says through the prophet Ezekiel. For thus saith the Lord. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Mercy ministry. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep. So I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. Mercy ministries. I will feed them in a good pasture. Mercy ministry. And in their grazing ground will be on the mountains of the heights of Israel. There they will lie down in the good grazing ground and they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And you see so much of the 23rd Psalm in this particular prophecy. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. Mercy ministry. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the scattered and I will bind up the broken and I will strengthen the sick. And so what do you have in this great prophecy? You have the declaration that God is a God of ministering to us in mercy. And that we who are those who have been lost and those who are in distress and those who have been sick, those who have been broken, that we are going to be the rich recipients of God's mercy ministry. You remember these words in Luke 1 when the father of John the Baptist is given a prophecy by the Lord concerning the coming of Jesus who would bring God's mercy ministry into our very lives. And this is what Zacharias says. He says, blessed be the God, Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Now, there is no greater work of mercy ministry than our having been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. The oath which He swore to Abraham, our father. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You know, as I read this concerning those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, I don't remember which it was, but there were, as you know, several movies about the life of Jesus. And I remember a poignant Episode in one of those movies where Jesus is being portrayed as a young boy, perhaps 10 to 12, 13 years old. Perhaps it's the time when he went into Jerusalem with his family. And here this young boy is standing against a wall and he's watching the people go back and forth and all the things that are happening around him. And all the problems and all the difficulties. And all the evils and the disease and the poverty. And this prophecy announced that in the midst of man's greatest need, God will reach out through his Son to meet our needs through his great mercy. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says in the first three verses, he gives us a description of our life before Christ. And it's a terrible description of death and darkness and utter hopelessness. And then in verse 4, the apostle gives us the reason why we were saved. He says in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy, Because of His great love, He redeemed us. Mercy Ministries. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And even after the resurrection, you remember when Jesus was about to be taken back into heaven, he gives a final command to the church, to his disciples. Remember what he says in Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go ye therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And you see, the going and the command to go was a command to go to do two things. And those two things were this, to preach with words the content of the gospel, to explain the necessity and the reason for the death of Jesus and to proclaim his resurrection. But then not only to proclaim his resurrection with words, But then to proclaim his resurrection with deeds of mercy in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you see that the gospel was proclaimed from the very beginning in two major areas. The necessity of a description or a group of words or an explanation of what has happened so people can get an understanding in themselves exactly how they relate to God and how they are to relate to Him as He is related to them through Christ. But then, not only an announcement that Jesus is alive, but the announcement of His resurrection through the power of the deeds of mercy into their lives which caused the power of the resurrection to be real in and among them as they were ministered to by these recipients of the mercy of God. How have we been saved? I believe that many of us were saved and were impacted not only by words, but by deeds of mercy from God through the church. We're here today because of the great merciful goodness of our God. That's why we're here in this auditorium this morning. And how many of us could actually give God a praise offering this morning because of the mercy ministry that we have received? How many of us can do that? Because of what I have received, I have received. Because of what we have received, we can praise God. Now let's talk about the purpose and the impact of mercy ministries as it looks like in the book of Acts. When you read the book of Acts, in chapter 2 especially, you had the account of the birth of the church, remember the day of Pentecost. And as the Holy Spirit has moved upon these 120 men and women in the upper room, He immediately moves them from... The church activity or the building in which they are in. And he moves them out into the streets. An immediate empowerment for ministry occurs in the church. But then the immediate impact and activity of that to bring the reality and the good of what God has done to affect the purpose of what God has done, they are moved out of the building, out into the streets. And thousands begin to be saved. How many would have been saved had they just stayed in the room and worshipped God and then left under normal conditions and gone on home? And how are you doing? Good to see you. Hope you're doing all right there would have been probably not many people saved. But you see, the Lord moved upon them and empowered them for the purpose of ministering the gospel in word and in deeds. And so they began to share their testimony with their words. And they began to demonstrate the power of the resurrection that they had testified in their testimony through deeds of mercy. And how did they do this? They shared their food. They shared their goods, they shared their homes, their money, their time. They shared their affections and care for one another and for the world around them. You remember in Acts chapter 2. And all of those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Acts chapter 4, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed anything belonging to himself as his own. See, because mercy ministry recognizes that what we have received is a gift of God's mercy and is not mine intrinsically. But I have been the recipient of God's mercy in order for me to be Blessed by that, so also I and we together may be a conduit for blessing others with the same mercy with which we have been blessed. But all things were, all, but all things were common property to them, for there was not a needy person among them. Now you know what that says, because we're too quick to go over these words. There was not a needy person among them. What kind of a society was this? This was a society which when they said poverty, we don't even understand the word. You remember, we've been down to Mexico. We've been in other countries. Poverty in these other countries is radically different than what we think as poor. If you think you're poor, then leave this country and go somewhere else. That's the kind of society that they lived in. Desperate poverty. And yet the Bible says this, that because of the mercy ministry and the sharing that they experienced and were willing to participate in, that there was not a needy person among them. Are there needy people among us today, even in this very church? There should not be. For all who were owners of land or of houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And Joseph, a Levite of Cypriot birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, owned a tract of land and sold it and bought them, brought the money to the apostles and laid it at their feet. Why do I mention Barnabas? Because you see, we begin to get an understanding and an insight into the power and impact of mercy ministries when we look at this man's life. You remember Barnabas? He was a part of the church. And he was so affected by the mercy of God and the activity of others in the church that he took what he owned, sold it, and brought it to the apostles and laid it at their feet. Okay? But then God began to work in this man Barnabas in spectacular ways. See, very much locking up in us, locking up or rather away from us the ministry of God is this unlocking of ourselves to be involved in the ministry to others. And Barnabas, you remember... was the man who brought Saul, that newly converted Jewish man who was killing the members of the church. He brought Saul under his wing and he mentored Saul and he began to teach Saul and be with Saul and to help him and began to minister to Saul. And then several years later... Barnabas goes up to the city of Tarsus, where Saul is living at that particular time, and brings him all the way down to the city of Antioch. And then the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit used Barnabas and Saul to be teaching and ministering in the church for a year, and then set these two men aside. To begin what became the three greatest missionary outreaches the world had ever seen. As Paul and Barnabas begin to minister the mercy of the gospel and the power of the word of God into the areas around them. And we are here today, recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because men moved in mercy ministries those days. And we are the recipients of that work of mercy. You see, from these scriptures, we see that the entire nation of Israel, in fact, the entire Roman world, was mightily impacted with the claims and the power of the gospel as the church reached out in mercy ministry. Not as the church just talked about Jesus. Not as the church just told people they need to be saved. But as the church took the message of the gospel and combine it with the deeds of mercy of the gospel. And when these two came together, the dynam- dynamite power of God began to explode into the lives of others. Now there are going to be at least three results of mercy ministries, at least three. You Remember in Matthew chapter 14? You've heard this story? And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a multitude and felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, the place is desolate and the time is already past. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. (laughs) The disciples weren't interested in mercy ministry. Look, we have problems here. These people don't have enough food. They had the difficulty. Why don't you go? y'all go on home. Take care of your needs and come back to church tomorrow. Because we're not here to get involved in your lives that way. We're here to listen to Jesus. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. Huh. You see, when we see the needy in this congregation, and when we see the needy out there in the world... So often, our thought, our feeling is, you need to go away. Or if you don't go away, I need to go away. Anybody feel this way occasionally? But Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You see, because I have given into your hands, church, the very means to minister to their needs so they would become a part of who you are. So he says, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus has given us the gospel, the food of eternal life for the needy. And so ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. Now you see, how many of us think sometimes, I don't have enough to give? I don't have but this little bit or that little bit. Now here, Jesus is confronted with fifth 15,000 people. I know it says 5,000, but it says 5,000 what? Men. So the probability is they had families and children. So I think we could easily say 15,000 folks are sitting out here for lunch. And all you have is a couple of sticks of bread from Leidenheimers and a couple of pieces of fish from Schwegman. All you have. We don't have enough to feed them. I don't have anything to offer. We don't have enough programs. I am not well educated enough. I don't do well. Jesus says, you submit that to me. And watch what I'll do with it. Watch what I'll do. And so he looked up to heaven and he blessed the food and breaking it, the loaves he gave them. And breaking the loaves he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the multitudes. And they all ate. And were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces. Twelve baskets full. How many disciples? How many disciples? Twelve. How many baskets full of food? Twelve. You see, what does this passage tell us? It shows us that there are three essential results in mercy ministries. The first two are pretty obvious. First, it shows us that the people are fed. Secondly, it shows us that the church is fed. And third, it shows us that the church is protected. The people are fed with the gospel. And then the church is fed. In fact, the way the church is fed mainly is through ministering. This is the greatest way that God feeds us and builds us up and strengthens us and gives us the ability, as I'll say in a moment, and the power to overcome the attacks of the enemy in the world against us. Is that we are actively seeking to reach out in this church and beyond the borders of this church into the lives of others through mercy ministry with the power of the gospel. You see, the deeds of mercy displayed the heart of God's compassionate love. The people were fed. You've seen the movies. You've read the book. Everywhere Jesus went, there was never a problem about getting people to come hear him. What was the problem? There were so many people, there was a crowd control problem. Why did people from miles away and walk days to come to see this man? Why? I believe their deepest needs were being met by him. They came to see and hear this man. Say and do things that met the needs of their life that no one else could ever meet. For which they were always desperate. You see, it's his compassion was drawing them in to himself. His compassion was softening their hearts of sin. Do you remember the words in Romans chapter 2, verse 4? Paul says, Do you not know that it is the goodness, the mercy, the compassion, the kindness of God that leads you to repentance? What drew them in? What drew them to Jesus was the warmth and the kindness and the goodness of this man. Think about it. What draws us to people? What genuinely draws us to want to be with someone? To want to talk to someone? To enjoy being in someone's company? The person who is critical and angry and nasty? The person with whom we feel comfortable and loved and accepted and who is embracing of us. Amen? Those are the people we want to be with and they draw us in. You see, if Mercy Ministries is anything, essentially, it is, it is, isn't it not the goodness and the gentleness and the warmth of Jesus Christ reaching out to us to embrace us in His loving arms? Isn't that what Mercy Ministries is? Haven't many of us experienced that kind of work in our lives as God has done that. In fact, we even sang about that this morning. The fathering love of God. And you see, he doesn't he accomplish this through mercy ministries. It's not that Jesus just puts his arms around us in any way. But we begin to experience and the world begins to experience the loving, powerful embrace of a great God that will overcome their sin and bring them into the kingdom of heaven through the avenue of mercy ministries. How do these people get fed? They were wooed and won by Jesus. I remember... When I was with Evelyn Mormon and her husband was dying, and she and I were talking about Bo. And I said, Evelyn, give me the story of how you and Bo got together. She began to recount how he first came, she first met him and went with him because he had a car. And she wanted to go with someone who had a car. Now, we're talking about 50 years ago or so, he had a car. She went with him. I said, but Evelyn, is that the reason you married him? I remember sitting in that little room in East Jefferson Hospital on the third floor. Just down the hall, fifth floor, just down the hall, Bo was dying. She says, no. She says, he was kind to me. He was good to me. You see, her husband wooed and won her. That's why she said yes. That's what Jesus does through us, the church, in Mercy Ministries. That's why they will say yes to the gospel. Not that we have so many words, but when the words of life come, the deeds of life and love come together. And the world is wooed and won by the love of God. Through mercy ministries. Secondly, the deeds of mercy mature and strengthen the church. I won't go into any detail here, but... We are built up and strengthened and matured... And fortified and equipped... As we give the gospel away in deeds of mercy. I don't believe there's any more powerful way to be built up in Christ than to be giving our lives away to others. And third, deeds of mercy protect the church. You wonder, well, how does that happen? How do we protect the church? You see, the church is protected when we are participating actively in deeds of mercy. We are protected from insensitivity. Now, how many of us can... And I can raise my hand on this. So how many of us... Could You may not want to, but how many of us could raise our hands saying, yes, I am or I am becoming insensitive to the problems out there because those problems are so big and so much and so continual, I get tired of hearing about them. If you are beginning to feel that way, you're in danger of becoming insensitive. And insensitivity, first and primarily, dishonors the God who has saved us by His mercy. Secondly, insensitivity will lead to our neglecting the things of God. Hear this word from Hebrews, chapter thirteen, sixteen, And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Insensitivity. As we minister through mercy ministries, we are protected from insensitivity, which would lead to neglect. And neglect will finally cause a rotting away of our spiritual ability to withstand the attacks of the enemy. And we will be prime candidates for the roaring lion who is prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. And we're prime candidates. And not only we ourselves, but our families. What about the necessity of Mercy Ministries? I think for many in the church, if we were to say, how many of you want to be involved in mercy ministry? A few hands would go up and maybe a whole lot wouldn't go up. Would you see, that's not what it's all about. This is not an option. We're not asking if you would like to do this and those of you who want to do this. We're telling you this morning, we're t- saying this morning that God is speaking to all of us. I don't want to say we're telling you. He's speaking to us, to me primarily, and then to you. And he's saying this is not an option. This is a necessity. It's a command. Remember when I quoted a few moments ago. Jesus says to the disciples, therefore to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And you see, the preaching of this gospel is to be done, as we said, in both words and in deeds of mercy. This is not an option. Now, None of us, I don't believe, would be so brave as to stand up and say, God I will not do what you want me to do. I refuse to. I am not going to do this. You can't make me do it. But you see, our attitude of mercy ministry may be saying the same thing. If we are here today listening to this and saying, Oh my word, there's no way they're going to get me involved with those kinds of people. There's no way I'm going to be able to, I'm going to do this. I'm not interested. I don't like it. What you're saying is no to God. At least call it what it is. Outright, bold-faced rebellion to a holy God. It's sin. Well, why should I be so strong in that? Because it's sin. Because the Lord has commanded us to go forth with this message and with this method of mercy to minister to the people. You see, mercy ministries is not just an activity, it's the heart of God. It's the very heartbeat of God to reach us as sinners and to strengthen us as saints. You know, sometimes we may think, I can get away from all of that. I just want to get away from all of that stuff. They just don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm going to move over here or go out there or go this or do that or whatever. I'm going to have this. But I, I just don't want to have any part of all that stuff, those people. And sometimes we think that if we can get away and not have anything to do with it, by ignoring it, we believe that we can insulate ourselves and protect ourselves from the darkness And the damage of that world from intruding into our lives. But the truth is exactly the opposite. Darkness, you see, is not a static state. It's an active and malevolent power. And it must be opposed directly, continually, through the power of the gospel... In the form of mercy ministries. If we believe by retreating or ignoring or not getting our hands sullied. That we are going to stay away from the effects of that world and protect ourselves and our families. We have totally missed the message of what God is saying in his Bible and through church history. You see, the history of the church shows that the darkness that is out there will enter the church. If we turn our backs on the needs of the needy, either within the church or without the church, that darkness is coming in. You see, we must bring the light of the gospel. And we talked about light and salt a few weeks ago, the light of the gospel into the darkness of the world, and that is accomplished through Mercy Ministries. Just remember a couple of these admonitions from Scripture. In James chapter one, the apostle says, "And this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God: to visit orphans and widows in their distress." Now, listen to what First John three seventeen says, because it's a poignant comment that this man makes. Because I know that most of us would say, I know I'm saved because I received Christ or I'm reading my Bible, whatever. But listen to how he connects the assurance of our salvation with mercy ministries. He said this, and whoever has this world's goods. Now, how many of us have stuff? <laughs> if I need more hands to raise on this one. I mean, I need more hands for me to raise. I got too much stuff. We all have stuff. Whether your stuff is possessions or time or compassion or prayer, we all have stuff. And so he says, whoever has this world stuff, of course, he's talking about physical possessions. And beholds his brother in need, looking out there and seeing the need. And he closes his heart against him. In other words, not going to meet the need. Listen to the question. How can it be said That the love of God abides in him. The apostle is equating our activity and our heart's desire. And our passion for mercy ministry. With the assurance of our salvation. And the declaration that we are saved. That verse threw me a number of years ago. I remember when I first came across it. And it caused me to realize Oh my word, that God is about different things than I was about. And that actually shocked me and shook me because I had never connected my lack of activity in the lives of others with being saved. But you see, salvation always has an activity connected with it. Always. And the activity is varied. But one of the main activities and one of the bulk activities of our salvation is our reaching out to the needy within and without the church. Listen to what James 2 says then. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Now, many of us say, well, I have faith, I have works. Can that faith save him? He's talking about being saved, being a child of God, having the assurance if a brother or a sister was out, is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them go in peace and be warm I'll pray for you I'm going to pray for you go see Keith Collins go see Peter Davidson Pete Shefferson y'all go do this and that here I'll check you see like the disciples send them home he says and yet you do not give them what is necessary you do not I do not give them necessary for what is necessary for their bodies what use is it even so If faith, if it has no works, is dead. Now, as we continue to consider mercy ministries, let's make sure of one thing, because we have such a tendency when we see the needs of the world to begin to be socially active for the sake of people's needs. And the sake of people's needs is secondary. Meeting needs is God's means of proclaiming himself as great through the gospel. The gospel is the primary focus, the centerpiece, and the power of Mercy Ministries. Why are we declaring today that Mercy Ministries is obligatory for the church? Why? Because it is God's method of promoting and promulgating and preaching and ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we must make sure that we keep the gospel as our focus as we minister to others. This is not just another social activity of our becoming involved in the the, uh, needs of people and causing us to be feeling good about that. Government agencies and charities do that. We have a different call. We have a call to take the gospel to people. And the method of doing that is embracing them in the love of God through mercy ministries. See, today the church and the gospel, and I think you would agree with this, have become increasing objects of ridicule and disdain. Have you seen that on television? Where the gospel and the church are kind of like made fun of and, eh, you know... Why? Well, first of all, what's the problem? Because God is seen to be unimpressive at best, and perhaps even non-existent at worst. That's what's happening. The world is listening to our words, but when they look at our deeds, they know the two don't go together. And they know that that kind of a God is unimpressive. And that we are deceiving ourselves and others. Even the world knows better. Why? Because we have failed in our purpose to take the gospel through words and deeds to the world. We have been very weak in mercy ministries in the church over the years. Because what what happens when mercy ministries begin to impact the world? What is the result in the world? The people were amazed by God. Remember this from Luke? And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. When they saw the works of this man Jesus and heard his word, they were amazed. Can that be said about us today? Is the world falling back with amazement? They were filled with awe. Jeff talked about awe last week. Uh, This awesome emotion of dread and veneration and wonder. Are they filled with awe. And when the multitudes saw this, they saw the deeds of Jesus. They were filled with awe and they glorified God. Is that what's happening? What is the result of mercy ministries in the world? People believe the gospel. And those who were in the... uh, Sorry, they believe. And that city, and from that city, many Samaritans, remember, because of the woman's testimony, believe. Why? Because Jesus reached into her life in mercy. What happens when the world sees mercy ministries and experiences the gospel and mercy ministries? They worship God. It elicits worship of God. And those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, you are certainly the son of God. And then they experience the feeling of awe oh, that Keith talked about several weeks ago from Romans eleven thirty three, 33. That "oh" of God. That wonderment. And Acts 3.10, and they were all filled with the, oh, or the wonder. This is the response of the world to mercy ministries. And the question I think we have to ask ourselves this morning is, is that happening as a result of what this church and I as an individual and we as individuals are doing in our lives? Do we see these kinds of reactions all around us? We may see... Little bits and pieces, but do we see it in the same way and to the same extent and with the same power that the early church, when thousands were being saved because the church was reaching out? How do we feel about the problems of the city? How many of you have seen the news? and How many of you are tired of hearing how many rapes how many murders? How many stabbings? How many thefts? How many whatever? How many of you are tired of that? I mean, really, I'm tired of it. How many of you are tired of it? I mean, can it get any worse? Thank you for saying yes, that's the truth. But sometimes we think it can't get any worse. When we hear that, what are we feeling? You know, how do we feel about the conditions of these people? Imagine it. Stinky people. That's how we feel. How do we feel as a congregation when we talk about the city of New Orleans? How do we feel when we talk about New Orleans? And I had to be very careful here because I had a whole lot to say, but I just felt the Lord say, don't do that. (laughs) But I will say this. There are many who would not go into the city and who hate the city and who despise and look down on it and disparage it. And a lot of the reason is racism. Amen. let's consider what Jesus' attitude would be. And seeing the multitudes, those disgusting people on Bourbon Street, those disgusting people in the decadence festival, those murderers, those adulterers, he had compassion on. Because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. How many of us were in that group at one time? Aren't you glad Jesus looked at us and said, I have compassion on you. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Or it could be New Orleans, New Orleans. You who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her chickens and you would not. Listen to the compassion of this man. O oh, city. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Mercy ministry of God. What does mercy ministry look like? Let me read this passage to you from Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Mercy ministry. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Mercy ministry. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Mercy ministry. I was naked and you clothed me. Mercy ministry. I was, in, I was sick and you visited me. Mercy ministry. I was in prison and you came to me. Mercy ministry. Then the righteous, the church, will answer him and say, Lord, when did you, we see you hungry and sick and prison and naked? When? Listen to these words carefully. And the king replied to them, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. You know who is the ultimate recipient of our mercy ministries? Who? The Lord himself. Why are mercy ministries important? Because as we are ministering, we are not only ministering God to the people, we are ministering to Jesus himself. For as you do it to them, you're doing it to me. Or, remember the rest of the group, as you did not do it to me, and that to them, you did not do it to me. In Luke 4, Jesus coming out of the wilderness proclaims his great mission of mercy ministry and he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. There it is. And here's the mercy ministry extension of that. He has sent me to proclaim the release of the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind and set those free who are undowntrodden. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Look at these five things. This is what mercy ministry is. The power of mercy ministry is from the Holy Spirit. The content of mercy ministries is the gospel. The recipient of mercy ministries are the needy. The activities of mercy ministry, or the effect of it is release and recovery and freedom. And then the great purpose of mercy ministries is a proclamation of the grace of God. Who are the recipients of mercy ministry? I'll say it this way. every Human being who has a need is a recipient of mercy ministry. Did I leave anybody out of that one? <laughs> that means no matter what your color, whether you're male or female, whether you are a believer or not a believer, whether you're young or old, rich or poor, doesn't matter. Every human being upon the face of the earth who has a need, and we know all have needs, is to be our active object of mercy, ministry through with the gospel. Therefore there's not that group, yes, but not that group and this over here and not over there, but everybody within the church and outside, saints and sinners alike. We believe it's not a strong enough word. we know. That the Lord wants to open the doors of this church wide to mercy ministries. That the gospel may be able to flow through these doors from this church being ministered in this church to those folks out there. So they also will be able to receive the refreshing of the Lord. We need to have an open door policy here. We've drifted from mercy ministries. I think many of us have. I think we have. Especially as it appears in the book of Acts. And I don't only mean Lakeview Christian Center, the church in general we just become too preoccupied with our own problems and our own difficulties. we become overcome by them. And the reason we've been overcome by so much is because we have not been taking the gospel out there to them in Mercy Ministries. Therefore, we have been enervated. We have been weakened on the inside and are being overcome by those problems that they have. We are also experiencing. And the reason we're not being able to overcome them sufficiently is because we're not reaching out sufficiently. Don't think, I don't have the time and have too many of this and I can't do that because that's the, this is the method of God building us up and winning the lost. How willing are we to actively embrace and participate in mercy ministries is an important question that we have to ask this morning. We know the Holy Spirit is saying to us, this is what I want of this church. This is what I want. So God is designed to open the doors of LCC to this area. To this whole area. Not just the nice neighborhood here or there. You see, because Mercy Ministries is God's method of destroying the works of the devil as a result of the fall. What are the results of the fall? Bondage to sin. Sickness. Disease, poverty, all of that are results of the fall. And how is God going to come in and deal with those results of the fall to overcome them? Through mercy ministries, as we are seeking Him and praying and walking personally and gathering together, individually, together, going out and ministering into those situations. Let's be God's fellow or co workers in reaching the lost. Let's do that more than just through Alpha, and Alpha is great. As each one of us embraces Mercy Ministries, as God opens the doors of our individual hearts, my heart, my affections, my desires, my yearnings to help those people to their needs, as He opens our hearts to their needs, so that the doors of our hearts. And their hearts will be more open to the gospel. Let's be God's door openers. And not door stoppers. Amen.
1: want us to, to pray together this morning, uh, and just in, in preparing for today's message, I uh, believe this is something that the Lord's wanted to restore into the church across the body of Christ, but for us as well, in particular in practical ways, and quite honestly, I, I think it's a, a large endeavor, and, and I'm sure it's one that the Lord will lead us in step by step. But it really will take a move of restoration, a move of the sense of what does the church exist for? Something that needs to shock us into a place of, what, what, what am I coming to be a part of? Am I coming to be a part of the mercy of God extended throughout the earth? Or am I coming because I want to come get something? You know, it, Fundamentally, it affects how we approach the church. And today, I want us to pray, and really just, I think today was just groundbreaking. I think it was a groundbreaking message. I think we're to pray in a groundbreaking way, and I'm going to ask us to pray in two directions. One would have to do with with us corporately embracing the purpose of God in Mercy Ministries, uh, and also that the Lord would begin to deal in our own hearts individually. That the makeup and the fiber of who we are will be affected because each of us own a sense of of wanting the mercy of God to spill out into the needs that we're aware of. I was uh, sitting there, Gina was reminding me about, a little bit about Brian's story. There's just so many details that are, are amazing. But uh, she'd reminded me when, when he first came to church, the first day he came to church, he, he wore a man's coat and an overgrown pair of shoes because he didn't own any clothes he could go to church in. When we went and did a, we did a trip to the beach uh, with the youth and he had never been to the beach. That was his first time ever going there. And when you see a life that's been touched and affected forever, and you realize there's, there's lots and lots more folks like that, that the church is supposed to be the vehicle for the gospel. What's most important about Brian Johnson is not uh, that... Some young boy from the inner city community got loved on uh, by somebody who lived in the suburbs. What's most important about his life is that his name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And mercy was just a means of delivering the message. And guys, the church needs to either be something or stop being called the church. I mean, there's so many of the things we're talking about in this restoration series these things are what the church really is if we're not going to be these things then let's call ourselves something else nice people who gather and talk about god let's change the name lakeview christian center nice people who gather and talk about god but the church does this kind of stuff that we're describing in this series it's the pictures of what god had in mind so stand up with me i want to read this passage we're going to pray together and invite the Holy Spirit to begin to provoke our lives. Acts chapter 6 is now, says, Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, a great outbreak, great revival was taking place in Jerusalem. People were being saved widows were coming into the kingdom of God. And they had no one to care for them. And they were in Jerusalem with no support and no help. So the church took on that responsibility, but it quickly outgrew the few men who were leading the movement. And so complaints began to take place because people were being neglected. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. The whole gathering got a vision for this. They were pleased and they were affected by it. And then they, they chose individuals in their midst who are full of the Holy Spirit and had abilities in these areas to coordinate these efforts. And I want us to pray this way. One, for God to make this message pleasing to us. Lord, make what I've just heard not some big guilt trip. And I'm not doing this and I haven't reached out to people like that and I don't even know if I want to. And let's Let's ask the Lord to do a work in us that we would be pleased to do this because it's pleasing Him and it's in His heart. And secondly, I want us to ask the Lord specifically, i felt glad that we're to ask for an individual, particularly I think it's a couple, whose giftings would be in this category with having a, a unique ability to marry together compassion and administrative gifts. And I know those two don't always go together. <laughs> but for a person to be able to to administrate a ministry like this that could become quite large and let me just tell you we have been dabbling in, in creating an opportunity for us to minister in this area for a few years the door hangers that we do that we intentionally target particular areas where we'll, we'll help put clothes on your kids back we'll help put, give them uh, school supplies the intention of that was to open the door in the people's lives who would have needs and it's done that what it's done is now they call back and now we have relationships with some of these people for two and three years now that we've been connecting with them. They come by, we give them food. They come by when they can't pay their bills. They come by when there's problems in their lives. And so God has opened the door but it ends up defaulting into the category of people who need to direct the church in other categories. And so either we can't get to them or we can't lead you guys. So we need a team of people whose heart is Hey, call me. Those people are out there, call me. I'll get with them. I'll visit with them. I'll talk for their situation with them. I'll I'll see how we can best minister to them. Uh, That's what we're looking to build here, a team of ministry that's going to operate in the area of mercy. But we need a director for that. We need somebody who's really going to have the gifting to pull that off and have the burden to help make it happen. So this morning, let's pray in this direction. Let's pray first and ask the Lord to provoke us in this category. And what I'd like for us to do in just a moment, I'm going to call on all of us to pray. But before we do, uh, I'm going to ask Tammy May if she would come up. And uh, uh, the Lord had directed my attention last night to Isaiah 58, and uh, Tammy had the Lord had given Tammy really, I think, a prophetic word for the church relevant to this, and, and it really comes out of Isaiah chapter 58. And so I want you to listen. She's going to read a few of the verses here. Tammy, I'm just going to have you read chapter 6, I mean, verse 6 of Isaiah 58 through verse 9. And then I know the Lord has put this in her heart for the church, and and I believe that we're to be provoked by it. So um, open your hearts consider it's interesting I wrote this down as Peter was sharing Um, Isaiah 58 this outreach is a means to our own strengthening and you hear this in these verses in Isaiah 58 what God wants to do in our midst in restoring here has a lot to do with whether or not we do this and so it's an interesting thought so Tammy come share
2: Recently, while praying concerning revival of the church or restoration of the church and revival of the lost, felt that the Lord led me to this chapter. Verse 6 says, Then is this not the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy to us in salvation. And thank you, Lord, for your mercy toward us in your word, God. Thank you, Lord, that in your faithfulness and mercy to us, you are realigning us with your word. You are making your church to be a biblical church, Lord, to follow after Jesus. Lord, just as Peter had said. Jesus, when he came, proclaimed that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set at liberty the captives, to restore sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. And Jesus, you want us to follow you, Lord. You said, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me, Lord. And you have anointed your church, Lord. The spirit of the Lord is upon us. The fear of the Lord has anointed us to preach the good news to the poor and to set at liberty the captives. Lord, I find it very interesting that you said, is this the fast that I have chosen? Lord, you liken this to a fast because you are calling us to fast, Lord, from those things that we find comfortable to us, Lord. You're calling us to fast from the things that we think that we need and from materialism and from God, and you want us to expend ourselves on behalf of the needy, Lord God, and to follow after you. And Lord, when we do these things, you have promised. You have promised restoration. You've promised the healing. It's going to come, Lord. You will heal us physically and spiritually and emotionally. And the church will look like the church, and it will have the power of the Holy Spirit upon it. And Lord, our light will break forth like the dawn. You will cause us to be a light to the nations, Lord God. You will allow us to share the gospel with the lost and to be an effective ministry. Lord, we thank you for your mercy in showing this to us. Help us, Lord, to be the church. In Jesus' name.
1: want us to lift our voices and let the Lord provoke our hearts i stirred I was thinking William Booth said this some people want to live within the sounds of chapel bells but I want to run a mission a yard from the gate of hell that's, that's the church if that's not resonating in us, then we're needing to ask the Lord, Lord, I'm needing some work of restoration in here so that my faith is going to be spent in the right place for the right cause, for something glorious to be offered to you. So what I want to ask us to do, and if there's something in this passage here, and I'm not going to take time to tweak it out, but there's, there's the Lord working as we go in this passage. It's not as though the Lord says, Hey, y'all... I'm going to do this and then y'all go. It's kind of like, go and I'll do it. It's not wait and then go. It's go and I'll do it. You do that, I'm going to be doing this as you do that. So it's like God in the midst of us. And I believe sometimes provoking our hearts in prayer has a similar dynamic to it. And when we begin to call out to God is when your heart begins to get provoked. It's almost like, well, no, 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 God. Provoke my heart. And then I'll call out. No, you begin to call out to God. And you find God begins to provoke your heart all the more. And so, let's do this this morning. I believe God wants to break some ground. And maybe the fallow ground one needing to be broken is right here. In our own hearts. Well, let's ask the Lord. Lord, break our hearts. And we're going to become a people of mercy, a people to minister your mercy in this community. So let's begin to lift our voices before God. Right now, let's just pray for ourselves and for the church out loud. Lord. Come, Lord. Come, God, in our midst, in our hearts, to provoke us with a love that is holy, a love that is sacrificial, a love that is divine, a love that wants to
2: be all enjoy joy.